0: Hello there and welcome along to another episode of Out to Lunch, the podcast where I dish out the food and my fabulous guests dish up the stories. Today I shared perhaps my most theatrical takeaway I've had in a while, oyster shucking and all, with pop star, podcast host and the kitchen disco queen who's kept our spirits up through various lockdowns and gone very big on the sequins. It's Sophie Ellis-Bexter.
1: So Sonny and his mate were there. And I literally kind of was like, thank you very much, good night. And then I walked off stage and went straight into the catering thing, still in my, like, chiffon and my secret leotard, and started making them sandwiches. I'm like, have you guys eaten? And, you know, just your brain just goes from one thing to the other thing.
0: Hello, Sophie.
1: Hi, Jay. How are you?
0: I'm very well. So tell me a very clear, important question. Where are you at this point? Where am I talking to you from
1: uh, so I'm in my sitting room uh, and actually it's a really beautiful day so I've had to shut a bit of the curtain because I was in full glare of the sun, which is nice.
0: Did your doorbell just go?
1: I it don't was... know. Richard kind of popped in and out, but I don't know if he was... If something just to at the check your other you left. It's, the... here. it's here.
0: Ah, brilliant.
1: Really? Oh, no, well, that's... I'm not eating this. Richard's <laughs> just showing me. that. Like that's the first time I've seen
0: it. <laughs> Literally, cool. that, that is the fact. You didn't or set press. this up.
1: I'm, no, so, no, let that That's how I look, I look Songs really cool, from the actually. kitchen disco,
0: the vinyl has just turned up.
1: Yeah, the vinyl just turned up. And how weird is uh, it that the cover of my album is me in my playroom. I, that, that tickles me, that does. The one on the back. now muscle now top, going off, going as my people f- say. Yes, exactly. And now couldn't I have my food, please? Yeah, he's <laughs> More importantly. And
0: has that also <laughs> arrived at the same time?
1: It has, yeah. All right. Yeah. Music and food brilliant. at the same time. Play on.
0: <laughs> That's excellent. And also we managed to basically <laughs> plug your album in an organic manner unless you two uh, are basically just the Svengali's of publicity and it's all oh, gone rather golly. more beautifully than, no you, than you could have wished. No, um, but
1: maybe, you know, unless you have worked it so that my lunch is actually my album and then I just talk about that. No, I'm hoping I really yeah, get fed. I can hear noises. Is it not coming yet? Oh, this is exciting. Just bring it all in. He's,
0: he's the oyster.
1: He's somebody shocking oysters. <laughs> that's absolutely brilliant. Someone, the oysters are being shocked at the boot of the car, apparently.
0: Oh, that is fantastic. Okay. I don't know if mine has arrived, but what's really Aww. matters for this podcast is that yours oysters. arrived. Oysters. So so I'll tell you what's happening. That's Happy that's dance. good to oysters. Right. Because <laughs> we did we always ask what are your what are your uh food, you know, uh, any dietary requirements. I eat there everything. Was, well, it was eat everything, but you did say you liked seafood.
1: I do adore so, seafood.
0: So I've gone to a place called Bob's Lobster uh, near London Ooh. Bridge, which I reviewed and liked very, very much. Um, and they do a lot of things with lobster. So I'll tell you what you've got heading your way. He is shucking, clearly somebody is shucking rock oysters from Richard Harwood, who is a brilliant oyster farmer over in Essex. There should be a lobster beast wow. uh Deglazed with brandy, let down with cream and so forth. Tuna tacos are coming. Uh, Sashimi grey tuna marinated in a high dressing with soy, ginger, garlic, sesame oil, and lime juice in crispy (laughs) wonton shells. There's a crab stack, layers of Dorset crab um, with more tuna and guacamole. A lobster and crayfish roll, and we'll get to dessert in a
1: minute. Um, This sounds (laughs) amazing.
0: So you've avoided (laughs) breakfast. Um, and that's made you perfect for lunch, don't you think? I think that's yeah, all are Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. No, I'm I'm ready to eat. What's the quickest one of your guests has ever eaten their lunch? <laughs> oh, my God, look how much food it is. Thank oh, you. Oh, is oh, that oh. my to sip? Yeah, you'll probably end up eating this and sushi, won't you? Oh, my word, is there a song that goes with this?
0: Um, it happens when you're, what, 21, 22?
1: hmm 21, yeah.
0: Uh, and and there was recently The Guardian ran a piece about, you know, how we made that. And mm. it does sound like beautiful happenstance, a whole bunch of things coming together yes. at one point. A tape cassette lying, wasn't it lying in, in the footwell of somebody's car for a while before they finally got it out and listened?
1: So um, after I, my band had split up, I didn't have a record deal, but I had still got a publishing deal which even that was quite odd because I hadn't written any songs before. I didn't write in my first band at all. But I had this publishing deal and someone at that label sent me an instrumental of Groove Jet on a CD and I didn't, I didn't understand why they were sending it to me. In fact, I think I was probably a bit insulted because I'd been in an indie band and I thought, I've got no interest in dance music at all. So I left it lying around the flat for a while and a couple of weeks later, I was tidying up and I found this CD and I thought, oh, I can't remember what that is and listened to it. And I thought, actually, there's something about this track I quite like. My manager was on holiday at the time, so I went for a meeting at the label to find out about it. And I said, yeah, I'll, I'll have a go at singing it and at writing something. Um, I had no idea what was going to happen with the song, but I think I think Grieve Jet has changed my life more than just the fact that it was commercially successful, but because it opened my eyes to the idea of doing other kinds of music and following my nose a bit more. So it gave me a lot more confidence. It, it's got
0: to be said, the audience was a guitar band, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, in, Yeah. exactly, yeah. We've been part of that sort of Britpop pop. Kind of scene really um, and my heart was firmly rooted in that so I remember when I was first promoting Groovejet I would say I don't like dance music and the PR had to say to me can you stop saying you don't like dance music because it's not going down that well but I was just being very very 21 and very honest <laughs> yeah I like dance music now for what it's worth
0: well I, I would hope so <laughs> live from the kitchen disco
1: yeah.
0: at that point did you have a plan did you could you see a way forward or was it live in the present tense? Is that something you've always been good at?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't wish it on people. But having that failure of my first band, because the first when we signed our record deal, we signed in a flurry of hype. I'd, we'd had six record de- record deals from six different companies, six figure contracts. Uh, it was all very heady, but having that all. Our album didn't even chart top 20 and then we were dropped quite quickly after that. And it was horrible. It felt absolutely horrible. But I think it's meant that everything that's happened to me since then, I have I know what it feels like when the whole thing goes away and I it, it did actually help me. I don't know how a groove jet would have felt and the success that happened with it and the momentum if I hadn't already known that feeling of experiencing a little bit of momentum and then the crash. So actually, I'm, I am grateful. I, I didn't like it, but it, it was good for me, I think. The worst bit really was just not knowing. what... there wasn't like I've got I've got no other things I can do. I've got no other things. I'm not employable <laughs> in any way. Um, I've got no qualifications outside of my A levels, so I just felt like if it's not singing, I don't know what it is. So I thought, well, it's got to be singing then. And if I'm a real singer, if I really care about it, I want to do it no matter what.
0: Did you find that world strange to enter?
1: I think in terms of my own clunky fit into the pop world, I've always I've often quite enjoyed it. I know that sounds odd. But I think if you know you're not really fitting into the mould very well, it's sometimes quite nice to be kind of acknowledge it and just sort of say, "Well, yes, um, I don't. I never did feel like I was part of the norm, normal pop thing. Not because of my education or anything like that, but more just because I'm not a very polished person. I didn't don't have dance training. Um, I've, I feel like I've come at things from a slightly odd angle. But I'm quite. It's been quite nice, really, to, to just realise I'm not cool and then just and then just be okay with that, really. I quite like it. You say say you're
0: not very polished, but one of the things that always has struck me about you is there is a look to you, hair, makeup, clothes. And you've talked about it. I know you're pulling a face. You've talked about it in interviews about, you know, (laughs) this expectation, reasonably, I think the phrase is put together. Mm. That surface stuff, you're brilliant at. You you nobody did Ellis-Bexter like Sophia ellis Bexter. You were the moment you were appeared you had a particular look and you're now staring quizzically out the window at the I am, at the daylight I'm while you think about this. That's <laughs> I I'm, I'm hitting the crab stack.
1: Yeah, go for it. I've already um, been eating mine. It's absolutely delicious. The food is fantastic. I feel I have to do a shout out for Bob's lo- lobster. This is yeah, honestly let's, let's incredible. Keep doing that. Yeah. Uh, The reason I was making a face is because I don't feel like I've ever felt like that on the inside. And that's actually okay. But I think the beauty of what I do, and I'm sure I've done this with lots of people I I watch on telly or I enjoy their music whatever, is you sometimes join in gaps. And there are things I've really loved. I do love aesthetic. You know, when I did my first video for Take Me Home and I had all like 1950s and 60s fashion and vintage clothes, I've always loved that. But actually there's been a lot of it that's not, it isn't pulled together, but I think you sort of join dots you know, you know, like if you see a word written down and it's got the the correct letter at the beginning, the correct letter at the end, but the words inside are a jumble. Your brain will still read it as the word mm. it's supposed to be. I think it happens the same thing when you're interpreting, a, you know, what I was performing, um, how I was performing. Like you'll kind of join the dots and think, oh, that looks slick. But it's not it's not really. Um, and I don't mind the fact that people know that about me now. There is a lot of chaos that goes on the house. And this year it's pulled back the curtain on all that. But if for a long time people thought I wasn't, I was a lot more polished than I am, that's quite nice. I'm, I've never really wanted to correct that quite as <laughs> much as I have this year.
0: Were you okay at dealing with success? Some people find it quite hard. Mm. Or did you I, well, lap it up? <laughs>
1: uh, I didn't... I've never really had a sort of pure, pure success bit, I think, because when I thought that my first band were going to be that success, and then it was over before my friends had even finished their first year of uni, so... So that, that taught me a big lesson. And then, and then with GrooveJet, I kind of always felt like I could sort of see it for what it was. So I never kind of got too wrapped up in it really. It can all change so quickly. And actually in order to kind of keep going and keep doing what you do, there's a lot of bits where you're the only one who's really, uh, you know, you have to be quite tenacious. You have to be a little bit delusional and believe that there's still good stuff out there for you. And I think if you lose track of that, if you start believing in the success bit, then you also have to believe in the failure bit. And I chose not to really pay much heed to either, I think. (laughs) It's quite a good survival technique, I reckon.
0: But the thing we now turning to the present day is pop star, brilliant one, with a very controlled domestic life. Well, not controlled, actually, it's chaos, Um, in the best possible Mm. way. But that you embrace domestic (laughs) life. Your your first son is now, is he 16?
1: Yeah, he's
0: sixteen. And then there's four others. Yeah. Was it all? And, and I mm-hmm. know that you know. have said in the past you get slightly irritated by people asking you questions about all the kids, and you said you understand why because it's an anomaly having five children and so forth. Um, so I'll keep them to a minimum before I go into the Oh no, don't thing. worry about
1: that. I'm happy to talk about the kids. Actually, it's childcare I get a bit like. Uh, well, yeah,
0: I. I about.
1: But actually, talking about having children is fine.
0: <laughs> um. I mean, you, you made a very interesting point. In fact, you and, and my friend Hadley Freeman um, in that episode mm. uh, made the point that it didn't matter how successful or, or whatever you were as a woman, you were still the person the nursery called when there was a problem, which is not to yes, cast persons exactly. on, on partners and husbands, but that, that happens. No. Did you always set out to have an enormous family by modern
1: standards? <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, I sometimes think if I hadn't had loads, I would have just had one, strangely. But I think, um, you know, when in my life, whenever there's been a new baby in the family, it's always been a symbol of like a really good thing, a sort of quite a pure, joyful thing. Um, I was on my own um, in my childhood till I was eight and my brother was born. And Jackson... My brother i was absolutely obsessed with him and he was the mark of a new chapter you know my my mum and my stepdad and their very very happy marriage so i think i always had that association with new people coming into the family and it being positive and uh when richard and i got together we didn't um plan on having a child so quickly we'd only been going out for six weeks when we found out we were having a baby so it was very early <laughs> on into our dating um But I think um, family kind of made us the couple we were. We've always been three, you know, from the beginning almost. Um, And I think I've always felt a bit like, I kind of just want to see who else is out there. But I have to say now that I've had five and I've had lockdown, it has made me think that was quite a lot, that's quite a lot to take on. Because when they're all off doing their own things, there's a bit more of a rhythm to the week, but suddenly finding ourselves Two and a half months, just us lot, like in each other's faces all the time. It's quite, it's quite intense. It, <laughs> I didn't it, always feel like I'd been so- that clever. All
0: uh, oh, right, <laughs> is that you saying enough already? You're done.
1: I'm not one of those people that talks indefinites about it because I, I, I know it's really annoying. But uh, pr- I say probably not, probably not. I don't know. Probably but then not. But Mickey's really pro- cute, so it's hard. <laughs> and I like it. I like who they all are. And and even when it's even though it's relentless and overwhelming, I still really enjoy family life. Um so I don't know. But I think, you know, I'm forty one now. I've got five kids. That's I think that's I think I've got my hands full.
0: <laughs> you you said in a, in that Hadley <laughs> Freeman episode of your podcast, "Spinning Plates" with Sophia bexter mm. which seems a response to everybody asking you the question. Um, we like to plug, you know, cross plug of of podcasts. <laughs> you said at one at one point when when the first one came along, you wondered, you know, would you be able to sing a song again? Would you be able to write a song again? Mm. Um, was Definitely. that a real thing? A, a, a doubt that yeah. you could continue
1: yeah or just especially in the the pop world it's such a it's so youth centric um, and uh, no having a being a mum uh, in the pop world just felt very very awkward bedfellows and i felt like a lot of doors that had been open were starting to close with with regard to that um it might so have been in my mind it might have been um well you know if you're you know, they don't on Radio One. They probably don't play many many women in their twenties who've also got a couple of kids, um, and that also might be to do with loads of other factors. But I just felt like that.
0: Actually, I should put that in context because I recently I turned up on a BBC consumer show uh, that was being co-presented by Kim Marsh, and I suddenly remembered because she was part of Hearsay, which was the oh, original. Yeah constructed band as a result of a talent show. Yeah. And the big story of that was the sudden revelation that she had two kids and she kept them secret. This was only 20 years ago. And it struck me as amazing that that should have been seen as an issue. Do you remember that moment?
1: I do, I do. Um, Well... I think by and large, you know, things move at quite a pace and, um, you know, generationally it's already different for, I think Kim and I are about the same age. It's already different to us as it will be for our kids' generation in terms of, you know, the way women uh, are treated, you know, in the workforce and that. But there's still a lot of, a lot of things that are not a level playing field. And I suppose in my line of work, you just don't necessarily want to be on stage uh, with people thinking about the fact that, you know, you've... a baby at home and i remember when it was first being written about in the press it would be kind of oh you know it's a bit snide it'd be like oh well let's hope she likes nappies and crying babies because it's going to be more of that rather than pop music and you know it just made me feel a bit frumpy and a bit dowdy and that you know all the stuff i'd done before and all being like a pop star was just like well that doesn't exist if you're a mum you know you've got to be it's got to be very domestic thanks very much So I suppose it took me a few years to kind of find my way back to feeling like me and Sonny's mum at the same time and how I could marry those two.
0: I have to say, that's the brilliance of Kitchen Disco, of what you did throughout lockdown, apart from keeping our spirits (laughs) up, was you were mother of fire because they were all dancing around you. Apart from your eldest, you spent most of it in the armchair. Um, I know. Well, he was
1: looking after the
0: little one. No, I know that was what was so brilliant. You could have thought that he was actually didn't want to be part of it, and then he noticed that your smallest was sort of perched on his knee most of yeah. the time. Yeah, um, yeah, No, he's very helpful. It, 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 but that was the thing. It was it it was presenting you in that role of domestic person. You have a kitchen, but you can still bloody rock a sequin.
1: Um, <laughs> Thank you. Well, maybe I needed to show myself too, you know. And also I think uh, this year, so many of the way we interact has changed, hasn't it? In terms of, you know, we don't just see people in their job roles anymore. You know, I found myself in the bank talking about the, to the guy there about how he was finding, you know, his kids being off school and working during this time. And I feel like a lot of the barriers have sort of come down really. And we've all just experienced something all together that turned everything like... Whoosh, upside down it's it's been crazy really um and and not without it being a little bit scary and overwhelming at times but also some of it just just downright like domestic and mundane and monotonous so so yeah i chose we chose to kind of find find a way to alleviate that feeling um, the the discos were as much catharsis as they were escapism. You know, I could put little rants in those songs. Uh, <laughs> it's good to have a place to put that.
0: <laughs> uh, I was also struck by what a brilliant back catalogue of backing tracks you have. Oh, um, well, yeah. Where did yeah. they come do, you mean,
1: from? do you mean like all the covers and stuff? Cause, um, yeah. Where yeah, did they well, come from? They're... But I'm in Zoom karaoke on iTunes. So basically, initially I was really? singing. Yeah, initially I was singing songs where I'd where I'd done them before once. So I was like, oh well, I've sung this one at this performance, so I've already got a very solid sounding backing track. And then and then I ran out of options after a couple of of discos of covers where I had you know fully recorded produced backing tracks. So then I just thought I'm going to try one on this zoom karaoke um i mean there were other karaoke places i used but i did find zoom often had the best ones and um yeah just tried that and turns out nobody really minds it's fine (laughs) and from there on it's open season i can sing anything
0: was wuthering heights the cape bush that you did for halloween was that a zoom karaoke because by god it was good
1: i know they're really brilliant honestly they get the drama the best um but anyway, yeah. I just go on iTunes, type in whatever song, karaoke, our house, karaoke, whatever. It'd be like six options. A quick listen. Okay, yeah, that's the one.
0: <laughs> Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girl? <laughs> Some peasant Coke. No. Have you tried the tacos yet?
1: No, I was waiting for that. But I know I'm one taco down because Richard. Not only did he take the other box of them, but he also took one away, which is a bit strange. He's had four, but anyway. Oh my really? god! Really? Have you tried one already?
0: Yeah. Well, I'm in the middle of one, and it's.
1: Oh wow!
0: <laughs> it's mm. really good. It's it's a kind of wonton shell with tuna and a bit of wasabi and a bit of this and a bit of that. Mm. Some lime.
1: That's delicious. Got our
0: life shit, isn't it?
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> what a sucky way to spend the lunchtime now, This is amazing Can I, do, I, can I be a repeat Isn't guest?
0: <laughs> so let's be optimistic yeah. Are you are you looking forward to being back on stage? Because I, I watched another bit of footage I do this when I'm about to you know meet someone it Was you performing at Pride in, in Trafalgar Square in 2018 Oh wow, yeah uh, it, it was you with backing tracks And I was thinking, Jesus, that's self-possessed There's, You can't turn around and have Eye contact with your bassist or your... (laughs) No,
1: there's nowhere to hide. Anybody.
0: There's nowhere to hide, (laughs) but you seem to love it.
1: You know what? It's a bit of a confidence trick, but actually I credit all those sorts of gigs as being... It's kind of been the making of me, really, because a lot of my early gigs, I was terrified, you know, and you can hide behind your microphone stand and you can divert attention elsewhere and you can keep still with an answer. But, but doing all these, all, all manner of gigs and having to hop up in the middle of whatever atmosphere is already there, you know, and sometimes I've done private shows where I'll sing, like, I've done some weird and wonderful ones where I've sung for like, I don't know, 10 people having supper and things. And, you know, that's actually really nerve wracking. But You just have to find a place in your head where you go and it's the gig you want it to be. And then sometimes if you fake that emotion, you end up having a lovely time. And ultimately I do love what I do. And sometimes I'll stand there and I think, even if I'm just doing this for the pure joy of singing a song and dancing around for a bit, you know, I'm actually happy with that. And I think it's a little bit—you know—when you go and watch a stand-up comedian, and they sort of turn on the audience who aren't finding it funny, and it makes the whole atmosphere go. Mm, and everybody thinks this is horrible. With when you know, if you're an entertainer, if you're a performer, you've got to give the audience the impression that everything is exactly as you want it to be, and you've got this, and they don't need to feel nervous on your behalf because it's you've, you're you're okay, thanks. So that's basically what I do. I sort of go into that place in my head like it's fine, it's totally fine. I'm not. This is not an anxiety dream. It's fine. <laughs>
0: I'm a very big believer that the first 30 seconds of any gig or live show, and I do both,
1: Mm.
0: are there to tell the audience, relax. Everything's going to be fine.
1: Exactly.
0: uh, Yeah, yeah, this is going to be good. It's not going to be bad. You're in good company if you can get them to laugh straight off or you can hit them with something musically which makes them go, oh, yeah, this is all good. Exactly. Um, Talking of pride... Hmm. You you once said that there was a particular performance you did at GAY, mm-hmm. uh, which kind of released you from inhibitions, where you felt you were in your space. Tell us about tell me about that. What what was that particular gig? What was it that made it so important for you?
1: Um, yeah, so there was at the old GAY when it was at the Astoria, and it was my first gig back in. Oh, I think it might have even been years. Uh, so it was after I'd had. Um, sunny I spent a long time making a third record so I hadn't performed hadn't done anything for a long long time so let's say it'd been maybe two and a half years since I performed and I was really quite nervous about it um and I was performing a new single from my third album as soon as I walked out on stage the audience were just really supportive I mean I don't know if you ever went to that venue but that it was a lovely venue anyway and the crowd were just really welcoming and I felt so supported that when I started singing I just sort of forgot myself a little bit really and I think sometimes when you're very nervous when that emotion tips and you're not nervous anymore it goes into a kind of a euphoria you know like a relief so I was just dancing around and feeling really comfortable and when I came off stage I just thought I actually performed with far less inhibitions than I normally do I wasn't as reserved I just I was going with where I felt and it just was a bit of a turning point really and I thought that's that's that felt really good and at first i felt almost a bit bashful like oh, god you know i had lots of friends there i was like ah they all saw me like that i'd never performed like that before but but since then there was sort of no going back really um and so that's that's sort of turned me into more of the performer i am now and i prefer it i'm i'm happier now uh, so yeah it was a lovely night it was very special
0: i also wonder whether um they, i'm going to tell you a personal story having the family at the back to go back to is also a brilliant Leveller, Um, the quartet, the jazz quartet that I play with, we do sometimes, every now and then, they've both been cancelled this year because of the pandemic, but the Sunday lunch gig Mm. at Ronnie Scott's, and it's always a fantastic gig, and the audience is always sold out, and it's always brilliant, they're on their feet. Because of the timing, we play this cracking gig, we storm the crowd, and then we go home and make the kids tea. (laughs) And it is... (laughs) It is... (laughs) It's, uh, it's both odd yeah. and I think utterly brilliant.
1: Yeah, no, I, it's sort of- I totally get that. Yeah, I've had real extremes with that too. I mean, particularly when my eldest two got old enough that they could come to gigs without needing anyone to be looking after them while I'm on stage and they could literally just be at the side of the stage. And I remember taking Sunny and a friend when they must have been about 12 Um, And I was on my own with them in that uh, Richard couldn't do that gig with me. So I was the only parent. So Sonny and his mate were there. And I literally kind of was like, thank you very much. Good night. And then I walked off stage and went straight into the catering thing, still in my like chiffon and my secret leotard and started making them sandwiches. Like, have you guys eaten? And, you know, just your brain just goes from one thing to the other thing. And yes. Oh, can you hear Mickey? He's really shouting. I can't hear Mickey, it's Sorry. Brilliant. He's going, no, no. <laughs> no, don't apologise. No, no, no. But yeah, no, I love all that. I love the daftness of it. And um, I think it's the right way around as well. You know, I, I don't want kids that are fans of what I'm up to. I love the fact that they're interested in some of it and not at all in others. I like the fact they don't ask me, you know, how my work went. That's the right way around. I have to ask them how school was and that's it.
0: Yeah, my my kids are not at all interested. <laughs> there, was, there was once walked into the, walked into the living room with a, You know, I would have been an early teenager and said, what are you watching, yourself? <laughs> 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 when, when you came up with the idea for the podcast, Spinning Plates, mm. was that, I mean, did somebody come to you and say, would you like to do this? Or when they said, would you like to talk to lots of <laughs> other women in a similar situation? Was it a response to people like me constantly asking you questions about that element of your life?
1: Um no, I, I said before, I, well, I actually don't mind talking about family life at all. It's a massive part of who I am. But no, I think what it was is that I've got a friend who said, I think you should do a podcast, but you know what it's like doing your own. You can only really do it if you actually love doing it because it takes quite a lot of effort and it's quite, mm-hmm. you know, you have to invest in it. I thought I knew why I was doing it and it was just for fun, but actually it's come to be something that's meant a lot more to me as time's gone on. And I think it's because um, I realised it's not really about being a working parent at all. It's about how you keep that kernel of yourself that you, you know, the, the, the sort of version of you when you're just starting out and keep sort of, keep something precious about the middle of you. So you don't get lost in the homogeny of life, which might be family life. It might be getting older, all the other stuff that happens. And, you know, if you do become a parent, it's often a moment where there is a bit of a re, you know, you take time to kind of think, okay, what about my previous life still makes sense to me? Which bits don't seem to work that well? Do I still want to go back to that same job? Do I want to slightly change tact? For some people, it's massive. For other people, they just keep going on the same trajectory. But I'm curious about all of that. So I've loved it. I've had some great guests.
0: You absolutely have. One of the things that becomes clear is you've been doing a lot of reading up on, on how the brain works, how the emotional connection happens. You reference various things you've learned along the way. Mm. In particular. I mean, one Small one was why we mix up our children's names. Yeah. I've only got two, and I, just, you know, I mix them up. You have got five. Mm. About uh, all their names being located in the same part of your head, so you have to go that through point. a roller deck. Same association. Another one about anxiety. Is, is this a, a subject that you have become in, intrigued by? How how we work emotionally?
1: Definitely, and that's I'm sure in no small part to the fact that I have to respond to these five small humans, and they're all very different people that I'm raising, and I want to help them. And, you know, I've done all the classic parental things of getting frustrated and getting annoyed about stuff. But then you realize actually, if, if, if we're locked in a situation where something's not functioning that well, um, only one of us is really able to actually move things forward. So, so yeah, I do kind of go to the psychology of things and my kids all respond to different things as well. Um, they have different ways of, of coping with stuff. They have different ways their anger shows their emotions. Um, different ways of, you know, challenging themselves. So, yeah, I take it, I was like, okay, this is my, my task, really. And, you know, I always say to them, like, you know, I've got years to help you figure this stuff out. We, you know, I want them to leave the house feeling as secure as they can in their ability to navigate their way in the world. I mean, I'm to see how I do, but that's, that's my intention.
0: One of the most touching episodes that you've done was when you went off and interviewed your mum, Janet, who mm. was an actress, been TV presenter, and a rather successful one. I say interviewed, actually. She talked and you chipped in occasionally.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Ever was it, that?
0: But it was a very kind of moving conversation between mother and daughter, comparing notes on what it was like to be and your thoughts about her mother, grandmother Hmm. and generations of women. And it struck me that she was an extremely relaxed person when it came to the business of getting through life.
1: She's, yeah, she's, she's really nicely pragmatic and brilliant at advice. It's interesting because it turned out she felt quite guilty when it was a long time of about three years when she was a single mum with me and I didn't realise she felt, felt guilty about going to work. She always seemed quite nicely unapologetic, I thought, but it was interesting to see that actually maybe nobody's that immune from sometimes feeling that pinch, really. But she's got no reason to feel guilty. I, I think it inspired me, really. And with that, I'll eat some more lobster. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah you eat some more lobster It's extraordinary lobster and crayfish roll. stop asking but me questions Bob's lobster for, oh. no sorry just comes with the territory what can he do um,
1: no such thing as a free
0: lunch. actually that was the t- no absolutely not although this one is entirely free thank you to the thank restaurant again food. um uh they're not our sponsors um <laughs> they're well, sponsoring there, me today a few eh? of those will pop along Speak for yourself yeah they are
1: <laughs> my day is entirely sponsored by bobs love sir.
0: the beautiful thing was that you did seem at various times to be giving your mum well not permission but just saying you don't have to feel guilty about anything it was all fine i only have lovely memories
1: yeah i do actually and she did work a lot when i was little um and away a lot but um I suppose I just always felt I always felt safe and I always felt loved, and I think those, if you have those two things in a childhood, then nothing ever goes too far wrong, does it?
0: I'm, I'm about to ask you about another one, but I have to—I realised there was another food item that we may not have spotted. Oh
1: my goodness, what? Is, which is? Yeah. <laughs> There's actually loads it, of food It's in. the
0: lobster roll. Oh wow. There's a lobster roll in there.
1: I think I have got this.
0: Well, I say lobster roll. It looks like they've done it inside bread, I'm not sure how the hell I'm going to eat I was this. It says it like a brioche. And kinda. Yeah, it's a brioche sandwich stuffed with lobster and crayfish.
1: If I worked in Bob's Lobster, I'd just sing Rock Lobster, but with Bob's Lobster all the time. Do you know that song, Rock Lobster? Uh, B52s. Oh, yeah.
0: (laughs) Top song, top song.
1: (laughs) Bob Lobster.
0: How about working with Richard, who I know, you know... Is he still there eating your food or has he nah, disappeared off? he was off?
1: being a bit noisy, actually, so he's taking it next door, which is for the best for all of us. All and right, we- let's talk about <laughs> him.
0: You're both in the music business. Mm. Um, I know he's, I think you've said that he's slightly more obsessive about the p- production side of recording than you I are. Thought, yeah. Um, yeah and yeah. And probably talk, you know, EQ and megahertz until it's coming mm. out of his ears. Yeah. But do you work together well, musically, creatively? Yeah, we, we do,
1: actually. Yeah. Um, I think we're, we're, our roles fit pretty well. So we met when he was in my band. Uh, he was in my first ever like live touring band that I had when I brought out my first record. And so, you know, the, the idea of us being on stage together feels quite natural, always has. But I think also he's very supportive um, of my ideas. And yeah, there's so much I, that has happened I wouldn't have done if we hadn't been together, I think. Um, he's always really encouraged me. Um, he always gives me lots of... Uh, yeah, encouragement about the work I do and about pushing myself a bit, and um, uh, and I think uh, I don't think I would have been as bold, really. Um, I he he's never like I used to have a boyfriend that was really critical and he wouldn't let me sing around the house and that kind of thing, and that to me now sounds like what was I doing? <laughs> that sounds
0: like, like a terrible idea.
1: Yeah, it was a terrible idea. Um, so I think you know Richard is a good person and he wants you know i think when you're in a relationship where the other person wants the best for you it encourages you doesn't it and you it's it's made me do things and push myself with my work but also we have fun a lot of it's really good fun and i love the fact that we can share in working together because it means that we've got loads of shared memories of things working out and or silly stuff we found ourselves doing or places we travel to and that's that's really nice as well
0: Thank you for taking time. Uh, enjoy the cheesecake and all the oysters mm. and everything else at Bob's Lobster. Uh, I mean, I don't think we've name-checked a, a restaurant as much <laughs> as we have this one, but by God, they saw us proud. It's been phenomenal. All, all podcasts should be this way.
1: Oh, they really should. But then they're not. It's just you. Uh,
0: it's been fantastic.
1: Well, how do I thank you? Yeah, yeah no, Thank you so much. My pleasure. A lovely thing.
0: Uh, Sophie. All that remains is for me to say, Sophia Lisbeckster, thank you very much for going out to lunch with me or staying in for lunch, whichever way we want to shape it.
1: Jay, it's been lovely. Good to see you.
0: The amazing Sophie Ellis Bextor. who I think it's safe to say enjoyed the food. If you didn't catch the name of the restaurant, how could you not? We were spoiled rotten by Bob's Lobster at London Bridge. And just a reminder that Sophie's latest album, which landed in her lap while we lunched, is Songs from the Kitchen Disco. It's out now. If this episode has whetted your appetite, why not have a look through some of our previous guests? There's plenty to get your teeth into. Review us. Give us five stars. We will love you forever. Out to Lunch is a Something Else and Jay Rayner production. The music was written, arranged and published performed by me, Jay Rayner, and Robert Rickenberg. The recording engineer was Gulliver Tickle, the mix engineer was Josh Gibbs, the producer was Jemima Rathbone, and the executive producer is Darby Doris. Additional production is from Steve Ackerman. Next time, I have a transatlantic and sometimes seriously emotional lunch with the superb British comedian making it big in the States, it's London Hughes.
1: And I have loads of energy. And the one thing that like daytime porn and kids TV have in common is energy. Did you need it for both? (laughs) You need it
0: for both.